Outrocast. Thank you for taking the time. Aside from doing press where you answer the same questions over and over and over again, good day for you so far? I'm having a wonderful day. Well, yeah, I had a big article come out today in the New York Times uh, by Jim Farber. So I'm very happy about that. Isn't it a miracle how long Jim Farber has lasted as like a top music writer? I say that because he actually knows what he's talking about. Don't they kind of ditch you after a certain number of years when you have all the artist relationships and you have to start your own blog? I don't know. I don't know anything about that end of the business, but um, I'm just delighted that, you know, we had a great interview and, you know, he wrote some very nice things about me, so... Hey, it is well-deserved. There's going to be plenty of compliments to come from me. And the first goes, when I had the pleasure of speaking with you in the midst of the pandemic, at that time, your book was forthcoming. So congratulations on seeing that all through. How many years all in all did it take to write this book? Well, I started with my uh, collaborator, David Ritz, about seven years ago. Uh, that's when we met and we be began this very you know, gorgeous journey together. All over the world, we wrote in Greece, in New York, in LA, in Nashville. And um, it, it was just a wonderful exploration of my life and went to places that I had just completely forgotten about or wanted to forget about. <laughs> so it, was, it, it became a real uh, reckoning also. And, you know, you get to a certain age where you you're holding on to all your memories and you you just don't want to forget them because your identity is all you know mixed in with your memories sometimes a lot of those memories aren't real memories they're they're as one wish it were so so that's why it's a reckoning because um i had to reevaluate you know my relationships with you know, especially, you know, the artists that I worked with through all these years. And also, you know, see, you know, acknowledge what a beautiful life I have today with my husband, Curtis, and we've been together 34 years. And um, our sons are 21 years old, they're in college, and, you know, they turned out great. So, you know, I have a lot to be thankful for. Right. Also, during that 2020 interview I did with you, the Ava Max cut was a new thing. And when you think about it, if the book took seven or so years, it was written before the Ava Max thing, which led you to statistically having the hits in the 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, 10s, and 20s. That also preceded the Countess Luann cut that you had, the Weezer, the regrouping with Bonnie Tyler. I'd have to imagine that you rewrote the book, that there was more to add after you thought you'd finished it. I thought we had finished it and then I, I got a chance to work with Barbara Streisand and I wrote a song for her. I solely wrote it, one of the rare songs in the last uh, 40 years that I've solely written. And it's called Lady Liberty. Mm -hmm. and it was a tribute to the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most you know meaningful songs to me, especially the way she sang it because it, it just really resonated with her feelings. And, um, you know, then, of course, I have a chapter now called Barbara Land. And then uh, after that, I got invited to perform at the Odeon of Herodes Atticus uh, at the foot of the Parthenon. And, you know, in, 
you know, where where it's, you know, it's a 2000 year old um, amphitheater, marble amphitheater created by a, a, a Roman. Um, and the Parthenon was created 2,500 years ago. And it was all a benefit uh, for the Acropolis Museum mm -hmm. uh, or the, you know, to encourage and to fund the, the education about the return of the Parthenon sculptures, which were, you know, very, you know, cruelly ripped out of the of the Parthenon and and taken to England and, you know, without, you know, real proper um, approval of the Greek people. I mean, mm -hmm. you talk to any Greek person and, you know, that they'll come to tears if you ask them about the Parthenon sculptures. So imagine if if in England somebody had taken pieces of, of Stonehenge away. And then they were trying to get them back for hundreds of years. You know, how, how you know, I, Stonehenge and the identity of, you know, England, you know, are hand in hand and of the of the British people. And it's so beloved. It's it's the equivalent. And it's uh, arguably the best song by Spinal Tap, too. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Uh, well, so when I said there's going to so be anyway, and at uh, Alice <laughs> Cooper uh, performed in my show uh, along with uh, Bonnie Tyler, yeah, and had a beautiful reunion. Uh, Rita Wilson, the band The Rasmus, who I'm working with now, co-producing with uh, Marty Fredrickson, their next album. So you know, I'm very much you know an active participant in the music business, right. It hasn't ended. It shows no sign of ending. And that leads into a compliment here. Uh, you, well, Can you take a compliment or are you maxed out for the day? No, bring it on. Okay. So your name is a name that gets said in our household a lot. And it's become an inside joke. You know how partners have inside jokes. And I'll say to somebody, hey, you know who wrote that song? And my wife will go, oh, Desmond Child. That's that just happens all the time. Doesn't matter what genre it is. I'll say, you know, who wrote that song and my wife just Desmond Child. That's how many songs you've written that, you know, we had your songs played at our wedding. And I'm sure you hear that every damn day. But I think it's remarkable when you go down your discography, how many of the artists you worked with on multiple albums, because as a person who's worked around publishing and management, I know that usually it's just one album. You work with the outside collaborator and then you're done. But Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Bonnie Tyler, Weezer, etc., you have these long-lasting relationships. So my question, because there wasn't a question, is do you spend a lot of time on your holiday cards and your correspondence with the artist to stay on everyone's good side? Well, I don't look at it that way. You know, I think that, you know, we come together as equals. And, you know, if, if somebody doesn't want to work with me, they don't have to. Um, you know, if they do the math and realize that songs that I collaborated on, you know, have been, you know, successful and are still in their shows, uh, then maybe they should come back and see if there's more to more gold in that mine. Right. So these days, how many days a week on average are you actually writing? Well, I don't know. Right now, I mean, I I came back from Greece and um, Marty and Marty Fredrickson and Laudi Yulin uh, had been with me um, in Greece and we wrote 18 songs. So of those 18, 
uh, there was one I had done with Laudi before uh, that is staying on their record. So nine of those songs out of the 18 were selected as ones that are going to make it on, you know, have a few, have a life. And so we, we're now like after this Zoom, I go into a writing session going over the lyrics of, of the final songs to make sure every single thing about it rings true. And so, um, you know, I'm working all the time. Right. You know, and I have other collaborators and we have songs. I just wrote with my rock mafia collaborators, Antonita, Antonina Armado, Arm, Antonina Armado mm -hmm. and Tim James mm -hmm. uh, of Rock Mafia. And we just, you know, we started a great song and then we decided to go on a dinner break. And then the other half of the night was just at this fantastic restaurant in LA that is, was called Fia's Steak. And it was pretty much the most expensive meal I've ever had in my whole life. And they picked up the tab. So now I owe them for like 20 meals from that one meal. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was so wonderful. I hadn't seen them since before COVID. Mm -hmm. And we had the big success with um, Zed, mm -hmm. uh, Beautiful Now. And um, it was like, it was just like being with family. And I actually prefer writing with professional songwriters. Oh, I've never heard that before out of the countless co-writers that I've spoken with. No one except you likes writing with the songwriters as opposed to the artist. Well, no, because the art, if you write with the artist, um, you know, you enter their world and their culture and it's, you know, in order for them to survive, all the energy has to be all about them. If they don't have that, you're, they're not going to be stars. But it is a very, you know, kind of sometimes draining experience, you know, to, oh, yeah. to stick with, you know, how do you, you know, this is a meteoric, you know, you know, kind of star moving across the sky and you have to hop on, um, you know, and so... It's so much more relaxed, especially here in Nashville, because it's, you know, the songwriters get together and write the songs. And rarely do they get to actually collaborate with the with with the artists. That happens more and more now these days. But um, you know, to me, it's the most fun. It's the camaraderie of people that really have a lot of great war stories to tell <laughs> about, you know, their experiences with the stars. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I I find it the most fulfilling, honestly. So there's no writer's block for you at the moment. There never has been. You know, I, I think that some people, you know, they have, you know, maybe problems in their lives and then they take it out on, you know, maybe from their childhood or whatever, and they take it out on areas of their life. You know, I never took it out on my career. <laughs> you know, it's like never has there been a writer's block. Never have I stopped. Never have I been been not excited to walk into a room, whether it's with an artist or or you know songwriters, and and start creating, being in the sandbox, playing. Um, that's just never gets tiring. Yet I can see how in my relationships in the past a lot of that childhood stuff was played out in those areas it's hmm. bad when you have to play it out in all areas right yeah <laughs> makes make sense well you know, it, 
I'm sorry to cut you off there. Leading into another compliment here, a lot of people who've had success as outside writers, usually it's relegated to one genre aside from samples and interpolations. And I'm speaking to somebody who could write with Marcus King and Weezer and Meatloaf, et cetera. So when did you kind of realize it was a blessing that you were not pigeonholed to one genre, unlike a lot of your peers? Well, the turning point was when my group Desmond Child and Rouge broke up because we were really set to to do some great things and we were on the precipice of of flying really into, you know, merging dance beats with rock guitars and telling cool stories, which later came to be, you know, with Prince and Madonna and Michael Jackson. But in the 70s when we were doing it, it was still people couldn't put their name on the kind of style that we were doing. So, you know, from that point on, be, all because of Paul Stanley um, mm-hmm. who invited me to write with him. And we had that huge global success that to this day is one of the biggest Kiss songs in their repertoire. Played at our wedding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was made for loving you. Yeah. And so from that moment on, you know, then other bands started coming and I just became a studio rat going from session to session, producing records and all this kind of stuff. And I enjoyed it because, you know, I grew up poor and the money was coming in. So I didn't want to let go of that while I was still being creative. You know, so had I been an artist, I probably would have wanted to just stick with the one style, you know, that I got was, that's what all the artists do. They just stick with the thing that they think the fans want. So they, you know, if they try to deviate, it's not successful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go anywhere. So they just try to improve and try to evolve within the narrow lane. But I don't have to do that. Plus, um, I concentrate on on the story. So to me, style is is secondary. My uh, mentor, Bob Crew, um, the late, wonderful... Jersey Boys, et cetera, yeah. Yes, um, I worked with him for a few years early on in my career, and he really taught me the art of songwriting. And, you know, when you have something to, he said, never, do you open your mouth to speak if you have nothing to say? It's like, no, then why should you open your mouth to sing if you have nothing to say? So, you know, because before I used to improvise just mumbling and, you know, kind of improvising, hoping something I mumbled sounded like a word that then I could build on a story around just something that fell out of my mouth. (laughs) His way was we couldn't even write one note until we knew the title of the song, what the song was about, and knew what it took, you know, story-wise to pay off that chorus. Once I started writing with that perspective, then I started having hit after hit after hit. You know, so, you know, it's like, he always used to say, the lyrics are the script mm-hmm. then you make the movie yeah you know, so you know a strict a script can be there for 10 years before somebody decides to put in you know 100 million dollars to make it into a film and the last thing that goes on to the film is the score and the music and right the sound effects so you know, why is it that we we go backwards? We do the music all first and then hope that there's a story between the chords. I mean, it's just not fair. And so many um, 
um, the disservice of, of using drum loops and all of that kind of stuff is that they don't change beyond the two or three chords that the loop is playing and they don't change tempo. They don't adapt to what is being said in the session uh, tempo wise or feeling wise. I mean, you have to get, you know, somebody to reprogram the loop and change it. I mean, it's impossible, but if you can, you know, plunk your way on a piano or a guitar, you can change chords, you can change feel, you can score what you're saying in so many different ways. So to me, it's all about story. Right. Hence you know, no writer's block. Hence no writer's block because there's always a story happening. And also because it's always now. And so there's always a piece of now in every note that you write. So one of the great things about now is now is timeless. Yeah. So if you're if you're if you're speaking of human stories that are you know timeless, it it, it will always be true, and people will always relate to the song like like they do living on a prayer. It just doesn't get old. It closes every bar. It closes every wedding. The don't stop believing into living on a prayer or vice versa medley, and uh, the the song lives on. Well. Do you have time for one more question slash topic, and then I'll let you go? Oh, you don't have to let me go. I can answer more if you if you wish, or am I, you know, holding you up from your next uh, interview? Never. You are the third and best interview of the day. No offense, Greg Proops. So the question, I'm hoping you can help clear up a mystery, a classic rock mystery for me. So you, the last time I spoke with you, you told me a great story about how David Lee Roth and you had a meeting and he told you the, do you want to see what I'm all about? And he brought in a stripper who did a strip tease. And it was, a it was two strippers <laughs> and, 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 and spike heels, uh, overcoats like spies and fedoras, black hats. And okay. so, you know, pretty soon the hats went off, the, the, the coats went off. I don't think the heels ever came off, but they were like, you know, writhing on the floor, like a, you know, a couple of snakes. And it was like, what? <laughs> that's that's Dave. So this it that totally does not jive with a couple of years later in his book when he's talking about how he was like bad mouthing Van Halen saying, How dare you guys want to write with Desmond Child? Because it seemed like Eddie and the band wanted to write with you. So well, yeah, that happened out. after our meeting and he never called me back. You know, and so fine, you know, whatever. Uh, and then I got asked to try going to write a song with with Eddie and, um, you know, the guys in the band. And guess who drives up there? Like almost like he knew the session was happening. David Lee Roth in a convertible. And he like drives up there. And we were sort of like all kind of getting it together to go in to the house to or into the studio to write up at the house. And, um, you know, he, all of a sudden he's like there in the middle of it all, you know, and the fact is that, you know, we couldn't have our session. So he came to bust it up. So, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, why don't we all write together? I thought, well, you know, I wasn't about to get in, involved in a sibling squabble. So I just left. So the mystery has been kind of solved with that. No songwriting got 
underway. It almost happened. But was this the kind of thing where Eddie reached out or his publisher talked to your publisher to arrange it? I, have, I don't know how it happened. I don't, you know, I can just imagine it was probably the, the label or the management hoping that they could have another hit, you know, and they saw that my songs with different bands were, were getting charted. Yeah. So you didn't have to do a lot of math to, to like, hey, what's the harm in trying? But we never got to try, you know, because, uh, you know, the the other guy showed up. And this was at the time when they were trying to find another lead singer, too. So there was a lot of kind of, uh, you know, you know, how the exes always get a little jealous of the new one and all this kind of stuff. So it really felt like family family stuff right so so putting this all together here anyway that wasn't i mean he might have uh after the striptease he might have uh felt that i was you know not you know somebody that would respond to his hetero kind of music so maybe he was judging me on that account because I didn't kind of go crazy about the female strippers. I don't know. I mean, what was I supposed to do? Throw myself into the middle of it? <laughs> that maybe you were, but <laughs> take, taking it back to you, though, and the book, I have to imagine that there's a lot of leftovers, a lot of things that didn't make the cut. So any chance we'll ever see a second Desmond Child book in the future or an updated edition or that kind of thing? I've been working on a, a book with Jody Marr. Oh. Um, and Jody Marr is an incredible songwriter and producer. She wrote and produced um, Grace Kelly with Mika and many other many other things, also in Latin music as well, because uh, she speaks perfect Spanish. And uh, we've worked together for years. She was, you know, so she she's now a professor at Belmont. And so we said, you know, there hasn't. She said, there's a real need for a real college textbook on songwriting. Not like the book I just wrote, which is all about who I slept with and didn't, uh, but a book about the mechanics, the real like nitty gritty of songwriting. And so we've been working on it in you know, bits and pieces. And um, you know, now that my book is out, I, you know, we have to get back to it. So that's what I'm doing you know, for our next book. And um, you know, so, it, you know, there are beautiful books on songwriting, but there hasn't been one that, you know, that people feel they can base a college course on. So we're, right. writing, we're writing it in that way. Right. Well, the to recap and put a ball on it before I let you go, the hits keep coming into the 2020s. Yep. This book is new and great. There might be another book with the exact opposite uh, approach to it no writer's block and just keep checking the social media and that's how you'll know what desmond child wants you to know yeah all, all i need to do is live <laughs> and it'll all be fine you know and um you know i'm i'm getting ready to turn 70 years old so that's when you start thinking about was is like is what i'm doing right now this second worth it and I would say a lot of the recent projects are worth it. So no, I was talking about talking to you right here this moment. It's worth it. <laughs> You're too kind, but thank you for the decades upon decades of oh, great, yeah. so great songs and looking forward to whatever's to come in the future, Desmond. 
Thank you. I encourage folks to go in on Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble and look for my book, Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life. And I'll send you a copy of my book about David Lee Roth coming out in January for you to be angry about. But thank you for your Why time. Why should I be angry? I don't care. <laughs> you know, hey, any 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 publicity is good publicity, good or bad. <laughs> you know. Outrocast. The first thing I want to know, besides how are you, is do I call you Sabrina, Chef Sabrina, Chef Combs? How do you like to be called? Um, you can call me Sabrina or Chef Sabrina. Um, I answer to both, I guess. <laughs> and I'm great. How about yourself? Nonstop, but pretty damn good here. Uh, Long Island has some weird weather right now. How's the weather down there in Atlanta? Um, funky, to say the least. <laughs> it's really all over the place. Funky. Well, it's a pleasure to connect. You have a lot going on, and I mean that in a good way. Sometimes you say to people, you have a lot going on, and... <laughs> But in your case, how long did you have to keep it a secret that you were going to be involved with Bitzels? Um, it was probably about three to four months where I was really kind of hush-hush, um, only because, you know, there's still permits being finalized and logos still being done. You know, that, that's pretty imp uh, important to have. So by the time I was able to announce it, it was kind of perfect planning because we also had, like, you know, the news dropping with it as well. So it was like, ta-da! <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I didn't and, fall off the place the face of the earth. <laughs> well, did you know from the get-go about the Willy Wonka type experience that was being offered, that that was a part of the grand plan? Or did you just come on board for, hey, these are quality people. I'm a chocolatier. This is what I'm going to do. Honestly, a little bit of both. Um, Ray, our, our owner and founder, he, he kind of found me and, and um, we got to talking and we talked and then we talked some more and, you know, he's, he's such a great guy and our characters really kind of um, go together well. And then to hear everything else was just added bonuses, really. Um, so it's like, okay, these are great people, great company, but then we're going to have this incredible experience that no one's seen before. And that's where I was like, uh, yes, <laughs> where do I sign? <laughs> It's another great credit for you. You were with Nobu Atlanta. Not that I need to tell you what your credits were, but I, I had the pleasure of going to Nobu, I think in Tokyo once, New York once, Los Angeles once. Did you go to all the, the Nobus so that you can go, this is how Atlanta's different? In other words, have you been to every Nobu ever because you wanted to get the menu right? Um, I wish. <laughs> uh, I've been to a few, but um, the great thing about Nobu is they're very... Um, they, they talk a lot with each other. So they try to keep the same thing going at every restaurant. So the standards never drop, which is a big thing for me and very high standards yeah. coming from, you know, four seasons as well. That's just, we always just kind of kept the bar here and either you went higher, there was, there was no going underneath. Um, so that's why, you know, I was there and opened it up here in Atlanta. Right. When another one of those credits, you know, just a finalist on a food network show, when you were doing that, did you know that it was going to change your life and your career by submitting that audition tape? Um, no. And, and there's even a funnier story about that is the producer kind of slid in my DMs and, and my LinkedIn. And I, you know, was like, this isn't real and kind of blew it off for a little bit. And then she did it again. And I was like, you know, the worst thing I could do is waste a little bit of my time talking to somebody. And it turns out I didn't waste any of my time. Um, and it truly was a really great experience. And I built such a great community as well. I still talk to all of the bakers from that show. 
which is really awesome because pastry chefs are are dwindling. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it honestly, um, I'm glad that I, I I bit the bullet and just went for it. Definitely nerve wracking, um, but definitely um, changed some things on the trajectory of my career. <laughs> That might be the first positive slid into my DM story that I've heard <laughs> a long time. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Outro cast. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav, and I don't disappear fast. Because right now, you are watching the Paltrow cast. Outro cast.